What's up, friends? It's Haley Hines, a.k.a. Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's give them the bird. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Give Em the Bird. On today's episode, I chat with Stephanie Roth Goldberg. Stephanie is a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, certified intuitive eating counselor, and eating disorder specialist with a niche in helping athletes and people struggling with their relationship to exercise. She is the founder of Intuitive Psychotherapy NYC, a small group practice specializing in eating disorders among a variety of diverse populations. She herself, as well as her practice, are deeply committed to practicing from a health at every size, anti-diet approach. Stephanie is an endurance athlete and a mother of two young kids, and she is a regular guest lecturer at the William Allenson White Institute in New York City. In this episode, we chat about how diet culture and exercise intertwine, indicators that our relationship with exercise may not be so healthy, how to reclaim exercise from diet culture, and resources for fitness professionals interested in learning more about exercise and eating disorders. I really enjoy talking with and learning from Stephanie and can't wait to share it with you all. So here it is. Enjoy. Welcome, Stephanie, to Give Him the Bird. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks. I'm psyched to be here. Yes. Super pumped. So before we dive into all the things that I want to just learn from you, tell listeners a little bit more about you. So my name is Stephanie Roth Goldberg. I uh, have a small group practice, a group therapy, psychotherapy practice in New York. Um, I specialize in eating disorders, but I also with a subspecialty in working with athletes and, um, exercise or healing one's relationship to exercise. That's because I myself am an endurance athlete. Um, And in my community, I found that so many people needed help or were suffering from eating disorders or disordered eating or disordered exercise or all of the above. Mm -hmm. And no one sort of knew where to turn. And so I took both my passions of being a therapist and working with eating disorders, but also being an athlete and uh, I get to do what I love every day. And it's awesome. Oh, so cool. Yeah. I feel like, especially at least where I'm at. So I'm in in Iowa. um, It is like not something that I hear talked about, even though I work in like the health and fitness space, Um, like eating disorders. Yeah. But when it comes to like the exercise side of it, not as much. So um, yeah, I've like I told you before we started recording, I love following you. I love the things to talk about and I'm jazzed to have you here. Um, you. I'm curious what led you to get into word- working with like eating disorders and even like being a therapist in general, like what led you to get to where you are? So it's it's funny. I sort of have a long version, a medium version of that and a short, a short version. Um, I started out as a social, in, in the social justice field. My cool. undergrad degree is in criminal justice. Um, I worked with parolees for many years and I had a supervisor who said, I think you need to go to social work school. Like oh. you're really um, good with, you know, advocating, but also with, you know, running groups. And so I went to social work school and I again worked in the social justice field for a while. And um, 
but part-time got a job at a group practice where I was assigned to working with all the young 20-somethings and we were in Midtown Manhattan. And uh, I guess because of where the practice was, all these people, a lot of them were Broadway hopefuls and mm -hmm. every single one of them was struggling with an eating disorder. And I thought, oh, I don't have really enough training in this to be the, the go-to for this population. I have some personal experience with an eating disorder and eating disorder recovery, but I didn't feel equipped. So I went and I got some training and I was introduced to a mentor who I guess 13, 14 years later is still my mentor. Wow. Um, and then I continued doing some trainings in eating disorders and working under different clinicians who that was their specialty. Um, and that's, that's kind of the how it happened. Very cool. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, and I know it's like part of your introduction is that you practice um, from like a health at every size perspective. And that's something that I've talked about a little bit on the podcast, but I've never explained more about what it means. So I'm curious for listeners, like what, what is Hayes all about? What does it mean for your practice? And even in terms of like exercise, what does that, what does that, how do you apply it there? So health at every size is this radical idea. So uh, radical. So <laughs> radical that we throw out weight bias as a means of determining health. Uh, that we recognize that health is often predetermined by socio socioeconomic factors, race, uh, class. So I guess I just said that disability status, gender, um, and that health is not just a given. Mm. And um, the health at every size paradigm, it honors diversity in bodies. Um, and I think in some ways it just, it, again, it's the radical idea that we look at someone for who they are, not mm. what they look like, and treat them with respect and curiosity and not just assign health based on how they look. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And how it how it works being a therapist in general, but an eating disorder specialist is that we don't just assume someone is healthy because they're in a straight sized body, mm -hmm. quote unquote, or unhealthy because they're in a particularly large body or assume that they're very unhealthy or healthy because they're in a particularly small body. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a different way of thinking about individualized care. Um, but also not assigning, I think something that's really where the intersection of what I am so passionate about exercise, um, is also that we don't just assign rules about movement based on what someone looks like in the mm. eating disorder field, which is historically what was done. If you were in a larger body movement was totally okay early in recovery. Mm. And if you were in a smaller body, there was movement, you know, was prohibited, and um, again, that's just based on a lot of old bias, fat phobic thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just love the idea that it's, you know, focusing more on like the health behaviors rather than mm -hmm. the way that you look um, and, and all the research that's behind it. Like we know that, like you mentioned, weight bias, that that's more of a predictor of somebody's health, like than the food that they eat and the movement that they do. And yeah, absolutely. So. Mm -hmm. Although what's interesting too, is health at every size. Also uh, what falls into that is that it's also the belief that no one owes us their health. No one mm -hmm. has to exercise or has to eat healthy for, to be treated with respect. Yes. Um, 
And I think that sometimes gets missed when people talk about health in every size is that like no one owes us being healthy to be treated mm-hmm. with respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's another that's a good aspect point. of that. Yeah. See, I, I really want to do more because I feel like I know the like what health at every size kind of, you know, what it's getting at. But even just you saying that it it alerts me that, Hey, you need to do some more learning. So I love that because there's always, I feel like there's always more to learn, um, and ways to look at, you know, the different paradigm shifts and everything that's happening. And totally. So tell me, tell me more about like exercise and diet culture and eating disorders. Um, cause I feel like so many times when people think about eating disorders or even disordered eating, they sometimes forget about the exercise component of it. And I think that so much of what our society thinks is like the healthy way to exercise and like the healthy conversations about exercise is actually extremely disordered and harmful. Um, yes, oh, man. So I just want to talk to you a little bit more about that, like exercise as it relates to diet culture. Um, it's funny. I'm in kind of a funny thought. I've been doing a lot of um, writing about this because I'm in a funny I want to say sort of evolved thinking about mm. this in a way, because I use, I often think that diet culture stole exercise as a means of enjoyment. And I, I do think that, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, in our society and in diet culture in particular, right. Exercise is really a means to change your body and people moralize things like you, you know, are a better person for doing this type of workout or working out at all than mm-hmm. you are for, sleeping or relaxing. Um, but lately I've also been on this, this, um, train of thought that I think is pretty, um, I'm going to get some pushback for this, but I also (laughs) think that some people in the Hayes community or in the anti-diet world are also taking exercise as a bad thing. And Mm. we're in this other shift of people sort of I remember on Marathon Sunday, which is a big thing in in New York, seeing all these posts like, oh, I'm so glad not to be lining up at the front of a marathon, and da, 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 which is fine. No one has right. to run a marathon ever, but it's not a bad thing if someone like if you can right. be an anti-diet athlete, actually. Um, and so I'm sort of doing a lot of thinking about how to talk more about that um, right. because it's nuanced. But to get back to your question, I think diet culture really has stolen exercise as a means of weight loss as opposed to a way for people to feel empowered and people to connect with their body and people to use strength for functional movements um, or community. I met mm-hmm. most of my adult friends riding bicycles. Mm-hmm. I met my husband that way. Um, you know, and so there's so much positivity that can come out of movement that has absolutely nothing to do with how our body looks or what the movement will do to our bodies in terms mm-hmm. of how it looks. Um, and I, I'm so passionate about getting to a place with people where they enjoy movement for the act of the movement itself for other areas of their life that have nothing to do with changing their body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so crazy because I have found too, when working with people, um, just from like the, the fitness standpoint, personal training or like health coaching that I always tell them, if you focus so much on waiting for the scale to change or your size, the size and shape of your body to change, like you're going to miss out on all these other progress points along the way that tend to happen first. Like the feeling of more confidence or just stress, you know, like less stress or, you know, being able to 
you might be able to walk up a flight of stairs and not get out of breath, but the scale is not going to tell you that you've made any improvements, you know? So, and I remember when my thought process shifted on that because exercise has always been a sticking point for me. Um, I have anxiety and I always have used exercise as a way to control my body in order to get like more, a better sense of control in in the world when I feel like things are out of control. Mm -hmm. And even now I've been experiencing that during the pandemic. Like I feel, I mean, talk about privilege. Like I've been able to shift to working from home. My job really hasn't changed that much. I'm saving money because I don't have to drive to work. Like the pandemic really has not been that hard on me, but I know that I'm still, life is still completely different. And Mm -hmm. just that sense of loss of control. When is this going to be over? And then put the election and all of that on top of it all. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think focusing on those non-physical appearance or non-weight, you know, measurements has been really impactful for me um, to try to get out of that thinking. I also think it's really interesting what you were saying right off the bat, like um, about the way sometimes exercise has been, some folks like talk about it as this bad thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And in my head, it's like movement is still a way to respect my body. You know, it's still, and and movement's still good. So um, I totally get what you were saying about exercise is still important for our health and our well-being and to feel good. Um, But it's when we do a little bit too much of it that it becomes becomes problematic. Yeah, or when we're using it in a disordered way, right? Like you were just saying, it used to be the only way you could control your anxiety kind of Mm -hmm. as opposed to like this morning, I went for a run and I ran actually way faster than I thought I could, but (laughs) I just had all this pent up energy from the last, you know, 48 hours of the Mm -hmm. news cycle. And that felt like a great thing to do. Um, But I then also have to do other things. Right, Um, right. And I can't kind of compulsively just use that as my outlet, right. um, but it does yeah. help move energy around our bodies. I love that as a way of thinking about it, actually. Yeah. It's like moving out some stuck energy. Some of my like negative Nancy energy or just, you know, when I don't want to sit in it anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you mentioned um, some of those like forms of, you know, using exercise to cope and that sort of stuff. So I'm curious, what are some other signs of that might be, I don't want to say like red flags, but just like, Ooh, this might be indicative of like a not so healthy relationship with exercise. Like what are some other things we can look out for? So one of the biggest things I I suggest people look out for is how they structure their day around exercise and how Mm -hmm. flexible they can be. Uh, And this is true, whether you are someone who likes to work out for, you know, pleasure and enjoyment, or if you're a competitive athlete, um, I also work with a few more competitive athletes and we talk about this a lot that, you know, their day might actually be structured around exercise, but can they be flexible? How upset are they if something happens um, to disrupt that? If you've got a phone call from a family member and you're like, oh, this person needs me, but I was going to do this thing. Like, um, so I think allowing your life to happen, not centralized around exercise is really important. Um, And that's a good way to kind of measure is my relationship disordered or not? Can I, you know, prioritize other people or things in my life and accept when something happens to disrupt whatever it is, an exercise class I was planning on taking, my training Mm -hmm. cycle, something like that. Um, So that's always one of the things I listen for is, Mm -hmm. 
you know, how do they cope with that? Um, identity is another big one um, that I think people don't talk about a lot, but I always give this example. So my sister lives in another state than me. I haven't seen her now in over a year, oh. but I never think I'm not a sister. I know I am a sister, you know, um, but a lot of times when I work with people who are suffering from some kind of disordered relationship with exercise, if they're injured, all of a sudden their identity is, is questioned oh. like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a dancer and I can't dance. So what am I? Like, you're still a dancer. You're just not dancing at the moment, or you're still, you know, a CrossFit athlete, but you can't lift at the moment. Um, right. And so I always think when the identity gets disrupted for periods of rest, that's a big um, area to, to look into that, you know, mm -hmm. if you can't take care of your body while still maintaining your connection to something that's problematic. Oh, wow. I never thought about that before, but that's a good one. Like I've never, I've never thought about the identity piece of it. Like, I think a lot of people might be experiencing that just with the closing of gyms and, and yes. everything. Like, I'm curious, how have you seen it affecting people in terms of exercise and, and whatnot? Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting because in the eating disorder, part of my work and, um, you know, the pandemic has really, I mean, for mental health in general, it's been right. so difficult, even for people such as yourself who can maintain, you know, employment and things like that, it's really hard. Um, and then for people who have lost their jobs and, you know, that's, it's, um, and so a lot of people are turning to old behaviors or are stuck with family members who, you know, have their own disordered relationships to food and um, exercise. And I think for athletes who were in the middle of a comp like competitive season, it, this has been crushing. Um, oh, yeah. And people who, you know, were training for events that got canceled, it's really hard. Um, I think the athletic community has done a great job, at least, you know, I'm in New York based, but um, locally of doing virtual things when mm -hmm. that was happening. Some, you know, uh, communities of runners and things like that. And cyclists are back out wearing masks, socially distanced. Um, I think that's been really helpful. The gyms are open here. I don't actually know anyone personally who is going other than people I know <laughs> who work there, but, um, but I think it has been challenging because it is a way of people, it is a way that people cope and it's all, we have to find new ways but I also think as a society, we've been so resilient, you know, mm -hmm. um, that people are doing things virtually or people are, we're in a place where we get to re-examine what's important, what do we enjoy? So if you were going to the gym and you were, I don't know, taking whatever spin classes and you decide, oh, I don't like that. Maybe now I like yoga and that's actually accessible. And all I need is a mm -hmm. mat, not large equipment. Um, so I think it's been a in some ways, a good way for people to evaluate what they're doing. Um, but it's problematic when everything has to be done at home, mm -hmm. because I think it's, it's helpful to have distance from things. And that is something I work with a lot of people on, like, mm -hmm. can you set up, you know, here it's cold out, but can you set up somewhere other than your bedroom, other, you mm -hmm. know, to have a space so that it doesn't feel like everything is happening in one place. Right. Like 
is there a little, a mini gym area that you can create in your house? Even if it's just, yeah, yoga mat in the corner of a room. Right. Okay. So you talked about a couple points um, that are really good indicators of, you know, maybe my relationship with exercise isn't so healthy. I'm curious then, like if people, if listeners hear that and they're like, oh, wow, I really identify with that. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. I see that show up in my life. How, how can we try to heal or improve that relationship? I mean, obviously go to therapy. That's like my big thing is like, everybody just go to therapy, but obviously that's not accessible for everybody, especially like right now. I know around here, it's just, you can't get in anywhere, which is really, really sad. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so how can people start to kind of get back to um, movement that's enjoyable and and creating a healthy relationship with movement? So this is a way I always, uh, backtrack and kind of (laughs) <laughs> go back on something I said earlier, but I think everyone should take a little bit of a pause when they're sort of figuring out what movement they like um, and take some time off, unpre- somewhat unprescribed. Like it doesn't have to be two weeks but or two months, but some, it could be two years. But right. I think if we take some time off and we sit with our bodies, our bodies start to tell us what we like to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to stretch or, oh, I need, like this morning, I checked in with my body. I was like, I need to get some energy out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, it is cold. <laughs> I'm going to dress and make sure I'm a little less cold so I can get <laughs> outside. I needed to be outside. I needed to not have any devices and I needed to run mm-hmm. other days. I really just need to stretch, but I need to check in with my body and let it and see, you know, do I have stored up energy? But so Mm -hmm. one of the ways I I encourage people to do this is by taking some real time off movement in general to see what their body's itching for. Mm. Kind of movement are you craving? Um, And that's also a way where people are like, oh, days off. That's another big kind Mm -hmm. of thing for people, right? We can say, oh, if you can't take rest days, we have to evaluate how you're feeling about exercise in your life. or thinking back to what feels fun. What is fun for someone? Um, sometimes that's just dancing around your house and that's movement, doesn't have mm-hmm. to be structured. And then if that's really fun, can you find a dance class you like? Um, right. mm-hmm. So I think one of the ways is to kind of really tune into your body and say, what do, what do I feel like doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that too. It's like a way of bringing mindfulness also to... I mean, we all need to be more mindful too, you know, so bringing mindfulness into it. Um, And I think, I think for so many people like that, I don't know, I'm maybe I'm speculating or assuming, but I wonder too, if just that idea can be so difficult because they're so, I think about like with intuitive eating where we're so disconnected from our bodies, like we Mm -hmm. can't even you know, listen to, we don't even notice our hunger signals, that sort of thing. Um, do you ever find that that happens with people when it's like, listen to your body? It's like, um, I have no idea what my body is saying. Like, what All is the that time. like? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Particularly with people who are recovering from an eating disorder, right? Mm. That they've dissociated from their feelings um, a lot. And it's something people struggle with, with intuitive eating. What is hunger? What is fullness? Yeah. Um, so then to take it even one step further of something we don't have to do, which is exercise, right? What what do I need? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in a body scan before you sort of start your day. Um, so, you know, spending one to five minutes checking in with each small area of your body. Are there pain there? Do you need to move that? Um, something I learned actually when I was training um, 
I think for my first marathon is a great way also to determine what your body needs. Although this is if someone has already sort of healed some aspects of their relationship to exercise is to spend six minutes doing what you think you wanted to do and Mm. see what your thoughts, feelings are. If you're going like this sucks, stop doing it. Mm, That's such a good point. And that happens all the time. I feel like, especially when I was big into CrossFit, I'd be like starting like a 30 minute long, you know, as many rounds as possible workout in the first mm-hmm. like five minutes. I'm like, I freaking hate this. Like, I don't even want to be doing this. And it's like 25 more minutes, you know, just like push through it. But that's such a good point. If you're like, you know, five, six minutes into it and it's like, this still sucks. Like, I still don't want to be doing this. So is it just like asking yourself, okay, what would I rather do? And would I rather do nothing right now? Or Yeah. Well, because when we talk about healing our relationship with exercise, exercise also shouldn't be torture. So if you're Mm -hmm. spending five minutes in a CrossFit (laughs) class going, this sucks, I don't want to do it. Like, why are you torturing yourself? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But if you're like, oh, this feels great. I wanted to get the energy out. Like I feel strong or I feel proud. Like that's awesome because that's Mm -hmm. positive energy in. Yes. Um, And I think that's a great way to look like teach your body that it's safe, that like if every part of you or is screaming, this sucks, then like listen to that. So, Mm. you know, you've created a safety in your own body. Yeah. That's like when they talk about an intuitive eating with, um, isn't it like with babies, it's like if they're crying and they don't get fed, then they can like learn to not trust their their They're bodies. Yeah. yeah. Their hunger. But that yeah. kind of reminds me of that too. It's like, if our body is telling us to stop or that it doesn't like this form of movement and we just don't listen to it. It's like, that's probably where that disconnect can start to start to happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There is that example in intuitive eating about trusting our bodies, like mm-hmm. awareness and cues. Yeah. And it's hard. Cause I've gotten this question too. Like what if you're training for something and you actually mm. do need to do whatever's on this plan. Right. But the first five minutes sucks. It's like, I still say, stop doing it. Call your coach, say, I'm just not feeling this right now. Maybe you need to push it back to later in the day. If you can, maybe you need to switch up the days in your training cycle to a day Mm. that you feel better about it. But um, the other thing people, I think, underestimate is the more you do that when your body is screaming something doesn't feel good is the more likely you are to get injured because mm. exactly what you're saying about the the baby you are creating dissociation from what your body wow. needs and so you teach yourself to push through and then all of a sudden you're going to find yourself injured mm-hmm. and be wow. confused about it yeah and isn't that like also could be a potential sign of um, yeah, obviously doing too much, but don't you see with a lot of, um, like over-exercising, like recurrent stress fractures and yes. things like I think about like plantar fasciitis or like shin splints, yes. things like that, like recurrent things that just, they feel like they can never heal. And that probably makes sense because they're so disconnected from it that by the time their shins or their feet are like, literally don't put another, you know, don't put another step on me. That's when they, they tune into it. Huh? Right. That is so, yeah, that's really powerful. And I feel like it's, that's also so against what typical forms of, you know, exercise, especially around this time of the year, it's like, you know, it's, it tells you to push through, push through the pain, like 
one more rep, whatever it is, you know, don't, don't quit your, what do they say? Your mind will quit before your body will all those things. And so people believe that. And really what you're saying from like, you know, your professional experience is when your body's telling you those things, just take a break, like step back and give your body what it's asking for. And that's to not do that kind of movement. Yeah. And I, and I do think there is, there is a little bit of like, and again, we sort of, I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth in some ways, there is a little bit of sometimes your body screaming like, Ooh, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. like your example of CrossFit, like one more burpee, but there is a difference if you're paying attention to like, ouch, I can't yeah. do this. I don't want to mm-hmm. versus like, all right, that's going to be tough. And then I'm done, you know, yes. like um, it's nuanced, but there is a difference and it's, it's being in tune with ourselves to figure out what that difference is. Yeah. It's almost like a healthy level of quote unquote, like pushing, pushing through in a sense, because exercise and movement is not always like, there's always a sense of muscular discomfort or, you know, whatever it is. And it's, I think it's again, going back to what you're saying of like tuning in and trying to learn what those cues are in your body. Like, where is that threshold in a sense for you? Um, And I feel like and maybe you have more to say about this, but I feel like the only way to really determine that level or that threshold is to like step back and give your body a break and, and listen to it more by doing those body scans and, and that sort of thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last weekend we uh, got together with some friends and one of the people was saying outside in a park, socially distanced, but <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. was so nice to see people, to see oh, humans. Yeah. Um, one of the people were saying they had, you know, recently set up a small gym in their apartment and, uh, but they suffered from shin splints and he, and he was saying, you know, I got like three minutes into this exercise and my shins were hurting, so I couldn't do it. And, and, and I said, wow, it's so refreshing to be with someone who's so in tune and listens to their body. Uh, cause I think a lot of people would have kept going for 10 minutes and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then, but that with shin splints in particular, right? You really have to stop before it becomes a larger issue. Right. um, But I'm still surprised when people just have this like completely healthy uh, relationship to their own body's awareness. Oh yeah. I, when I meet with a student that says, you know, even when they tell me like, I want to move more, um, but it's literally for my health. Like, I don't care what I look like. I almost like just break down in tears. I'm like, (laughs) You what? Like, that is so beautiful. I love hearing that. Um, so yeah, I agree. Like seeing people in the world that do have a healthy relationship with, with movement, or at least are yeah, aware of their bodies and aware of, um, messages that aren't, aren't so healthy and helpful is it's super refreshing. And I, and I think like things are shifting. Like, I feel like, you know, Mm -hmm. as diet culture is becoming more, you know, mainstream, like people are talking about it more anti-diet culture. Um, things are shifting, but I talked about in a podcast the other day, it was like, things are shifting, but maybe not like shifting quick enough. Like I'd really like to speed up this process, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way, sadly. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and I think what happens with the shift, right. Is that also diet culture or people who are really ingrained in that get more creative. So you see things like, oh, here's some intuitive exercise, just, you know, and it's completely not intuitive. Uh, Yeah. Those buzzwords, they, they drive me crazy and we're just seeing them more and more. And you never know what, what someone's going to put as like their Instagram bio and that sort of thing. So right. Gotta be aware. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. So I think, I feel like we've talked a little bit about like ways to, you know, learn to listen to your body a little bit more. I'm also curious, cause I know on your, on your Instagram bio, good transition. Um, you have something like reclaiming exercise from diet culture. Where mm-hmm. did I read that? Is that on your Instagram? I just put that on there like a week ago or something. Really? Yes. Oh, well, it would have been yeah. like right before I made this outline. So that explains it. Yes. Yes. Um, I, that's, yeah. But I, I loved, I love that so much. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about that. I think it is kind of what we've been talking about. This idea that we, you know, I have little kids, right? So my kids, particularly my older one, actually my young one, it's just figuring out how to crawl. But <laughs> my older kid, he loves to just run around and pretend to be dinosaurs. And, you know, just, it's like, we're always, he loves a good dance party. Um, he also loves riding his bike. I think mm. probably because he sees his parents do that. But um, I just think as humans, we do like grow up loving movement um, as little kids and watching a little kid run and just, you know, explore their body in that way is so fun. And I think as adults, that can be true too. Um, But it cannot be true if we're constantly sort of tying what we're eating to how much we're moving or some prescribed exercise because someone told us we will look like them or like this, whatever this is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if if you can get in touch with that sort of child aspect of yourself that can feel really excited to do something, mm-hmm. then we can reclaim exercise and make it fun mm-hmm. um, or empowering. So for example, I don't know why, but I, well, I kind of do know why. I, I love being able to do uh, pull-ups. It's just mm. like a thing. I think it, it makes me feel good. I think it's, it it's feels like good badass. in my body. It yeah. It's like badass for just a woman to be able to like go rip out some pull-ups and be like, yeah, like to that, you know, throw yeah. the bird to the guys at the gym. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I'm now nine months postpartum, almost nine months postpartum. And so I just gotten back into sort of try because before I had my babies was doing pull-ups and yes, all the time people at the gym be like, wow. I'm like, also F you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a human just because I'm a woman. Why are you mean surprised? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's all, like, I feel so excited that I can hang on the bar for, you know, longer than I could yesterday or that, mm-hmm. you know, I can do this movement that feels easier and it's exciting and fun because I'm like, oh, it's cool. And I have a little progression that I'm doing, but I, it's, it's fun because I'm like seeing myself do something that's hard, mm. but yet like the only goal is just to be able to do a few pull-ups unassisted for no reason other than I just like the way it feels. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it's fun mm-hmm. and I'm not putting pressure on myself to like if I don't, you know, I wrote out a little plan, but if I don't get to what I put on that plan, I don't usually even notice I didn't get to it till the next day. But um, I think we can reclaim joys of movement if we divorce it from what we look like and from from what we ate. I think that's the other thing that diet culture does is like Mm. we have to earn our food by doing a certain amount of exercise or you have to work off whatever food you ate. That's like the, Oh, especially again, this time of the year, post holidays. It's just, Oh, I'm so glad that now my Instagram like does not contain anybody that has those messages. And so I have this like very, um, 
like utopian sense of everybody, everybody stop talking about that. That's great. And then I go to my explore tab and I'm like, nope, it's still there. You know, totally. Yeah. 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 That idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few hashtags I follow and I'll be surprised when I'm scrolling of, Oh, what is this person saying? And I think, Oh, that's the hashtag. It's not someone I follow, but yeah, yeah, it's still very loud. Mm, Yeah. So for you, like the reclaiming exercise from diet culture, it sounds like almost getting back to like the childlike joy that we once all probably once experienced from movement, you know? Yeah. And though I will say also doing things because you want to, to. like, like, because that's what we should, you know, we eat like intuitive eating, right. is about listening to what your body needs physically, emotionally, um, nutritionally at at some points. Right. Um, and giving that to ourselves because that feels good. Mm. And I think movement can be the same that we can give ourselves what we need because it feels good. Yeah. And I like that too. Cause one thing that I really encourage people to do with movement is like have a variety of things that you do, you know, even if you're a runner and you love running, I bet there's probably other forms of movement that you enjoy that your body would also really benefit from doing, obviously. Um, right. And so I think getting back to that idea of, you know, choosing movement that you enjoy, it just like broadens the scope of possibilities of, or, or options that we have. And that ultimately is going to make, you know, our, our bodies healthier, our minds healthier, and just like create a more well-rounded body in terms of functionality, not like rounded in terms of like the way we look or whatever. Um, so I like that. I think it really speaks to, you know, getting back to the things that you enjoy allows for more variety um, and getting back to focusing on how movement makes you feel rather than, you know, the way it's going to make you look. Yeah. It's the, I want to versus I have to, Yeah, right? I want to versus I have to. I like that. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing that really drives me bonkers as a personal trainer and um, health coach, mm-hmm. the resources available for fitness professionals. Oh my good Lord. It drives me absolutely crazy. And I'm, I'm really lucky. I get to work closely with, um, a dietitian who, um, works a lot with, you know, college students. So eating disorders and she'll, you know, push resources out to me. So I have, I'm really lucky that I have her to, to gain more knowledge about exercise and just disordered eating and how the two collide and interact with each other. But I just feel like there is so much limited knowledge out there for, for folks that, especially personal trainers who are training on their own, they're not part yes. of a gym or anything. Oh, but even when you are part of a gym, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious, like, are there guidelines for, for fitness professionals that they can follow or things to keep in mind when folks are wanting to reintegrate exercise into their life? whether they like have a history of an eating disorder or just like once had an unhealthy relationship, like what are some things that, that we can think about when prescribing exercise or working with them um, when it comes to exercise? Yeah. One thing I will say is I agree with you. The resources are so limited. Um, You know, there's a eating disorder center McCollum place um, that runs once a year a um, eating disorder and sports conference that, Mm. you know, people present papers and it's, it's awesome. I've never actually been able to go in person. Um, It's in St. Louis and it's never worked out for me to go, but, um, and they, they are sort of like my go-to for 
treatment facility, but also some of the guidelines and things. Um, I here in New York, there's the Women's Sports Center um, has, uh, I was going to say, well, I'm biased, right? So like some of the best doctors um, <laughs> for females, but there isn't, you know, it's, I, I talk about this and I teach about this. There isn't, you know, like in the DSM, like here's where someone has disordered exercise. Here's the mm. diagnostic criteria. And then usually once you have diagnostic criteria for something, right, then there's this sort of, okay, and this is how we treat it. This is how we, you know, judge whether someone right. is healthy or, you know, can move past point A and B. So there's not nearly as many resources as there should be. Um, I, it's funny, I used to, and I, I've lectured and I've gone to do some lunches, like learn lunch and learns at PT mm -hmm. clinics in the city and at a few gyms because people just don't know about this stuff. Um, there's some decent books you can read, right? Like Sick Enough is a good book that has mm -hmm. um, some resources about athleticism in there. And, oh man, the other book I'm thinking of just escaped me, uh, my brain. I will get there. That's okay. But, we can always add it into the show notes later on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, there's, um, but I think the other thing that I always tell people is like, you need a team approach. So even as a fitness mm. professional, can you talk to someone's, you know, general doctor or if they mm -hmm. have a sports medicine doctor to make sure that um, they're cleared? Like I work mm -hmm. pretty closely with a few physical therapists, dietitians, those kinds of things. So everyone right. or coaches, if someone has one, um, so that at least- the guideline for each individual is there mm. that everyone's agreeing on. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. But I agree. I think too, I, I think about, um, I just see so many, you know, personal trainers who are well-intentioned, but they have like these, I think they perpetrate these rigid rules with exercise. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but I even think focusing on the things that you've been talking about, like checking in with your body and focusing on, okay, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing? I know that you have some goals, but also, you know, goals for movement, but also what do you enjoy doing? How can we integrate that into, you know, your training plan and everything? And um, yeah. So what was the first one? The McCullen, McCullen Sports Center? Was that McCollum Place? Okay, McCullum. Okay. Um, yeah, I can send it to you too. I mean, yeah. they have a blog, but they, they have a good, like I said, like sports conference every year. Um, cool. There's also um, the female athlete conference, which is not necessarily eating disorder relationship. Yeah related it's out of Boston um, okay a good an old teammate of mine is one of the dietitians there yeah. but uh cool yeah yeah so absolutely because I always feel like I remember the first time ace fitness which is who I'm um, certified through their cover said is there a body image issue in the fitness industry and that was the first time and that was I want to say last year, maybe the year before that was the first time I ever saw like body image talked about in one of their magazines or on their website. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, again, I, like I mentioned, I feel like a shift is starting to happen. Like they're, they're talking more about it and they're showing more, you know, body sizes that are more diverse and in more real life. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, I always want to try to give people more resources if, if they're available. So those I think will be helpful, um, to share with folks. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I found you on Instagram and I want you, I want other people to find you on Instagram because I just think you're awesome. Um, so, so tell people more about like where they can find you on Instagram, um, to learn more about you, to learn more about what you do and, um, just learn from you in general. Yeah. So, uh, my Instagram handle is, um, embodied psychotherapist and I slowly, but surely going to think about working on other social media platforms, but that's what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. Instagram's a lot. Um, my website is intuitive psychotherapy NYC. It's a long one. <laughs> um, and, but from my Instagram profile, you can get to my website or my email. Um, yeah. Cool. Very cool. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you or that we didn't talk about that you think would be um, beneficial? Anything, anything else that you can think of? I think one thing I probably didn't say, but is important to say is that it's, I think in the order of things, we have to work on our relationship to food before we mm. can work on our relationship to exercise, um, or at least somewhat ahead of that, because like we did say, the biggest thing is divorcing exercise from food and how you look, but you do have to get into in touch with your body and how it feels. And one of the best ways to do that is through something you absolutely need to do, which is eat and what mm -hmm. feels good in your body and what feels energizing. And are you nourishing yourself enough? And are you eating when you're hungry? Mm -hmm. um, so that you know, if you can move when you're ready to move and rest mm -hmm. when you're ready to rest. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah. So focus on maybe if you're going to pick one out of the two, focus on the food first and then start working on the exercise and kind of healing that relationship. Yeah. Nice. That is beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's been, oh, I just think it's so amazing that I got to actually connect with you. Um, oh, thank you. I'm, I'm excited. I also love your Instagram page. It's, oh. I love your stories. They're very fun. I'm extremely weird and goofy. And um, one of my core values is authenticity. So it's like, I just like am come as you are kind of gal. Love <laughs> I, it. I love very it. unfiltered. I can't believe I didn't drop the F-bomb on this. Um, Cause that's, that's my favorite, like my second favorite word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember when I found you on Instagram, I think it must've been sometime last year, but I found you on my personal page or in 2019, that's now, I guess, technically two years ago. Um, and I just remember connecting with everything that you were saying, like everything made sense to me and like my journey of I'm still working on um, healing my relationship with exercise, but I just felt like it was such a good resource. And I learned a lot, even though, um, like I didn't have an eating disorder or, you know, anything like, um, that to that extent, but I just think that you're extremely helpful. Um, your page is really helpful. And so I'm so grateful that I could connect oh, thank with you. you so That's awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Yes, absolutely. Thanks again to Stephanie for hopping on the podcast and thank you to you all for listening. Be sure to follow Stephanie on Instagram at embodied psychotherapist. If you're loving the podcast, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe and or slide into my DMs at give them the bird podcast and let me know your thoughts. I'll see you guys back here in two weeks for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.